Hello there and welcome to my e-course on how to thrive in a crisis. Let's just dive right into it. What exactly is a crisis? A crisis is defined as a time of extreme difficulty, trouble, or danger. Now given that that's the case, it means that it's a time where people have to make extremely critical and difficult decisions. A crisis is something that can affect an individual, it can affect a family, a group of people, it can affect a culture, a society, a world, or even the universe at large. To give you some ideas of what crisis is, because it's a full range of things, I'm going to give you a list. A crisis can be a mental health crisis. A crisis can be an identity crisis. A crisis can happen when you have an extreme accident, when there's a time of pandemic or war. A crisis can be a natural disaster. Some other examples of a crisis. It can be being in a lawsuit. It can be a family disruption or a divorce. It can be the loss of a loved one. It can be being taken to court and being sued by someone. What I want you to understand is, is it can be a full range of things. It can also be positive things. What I mean by that is that most people would consider the birth of a new child to be something that's a blessing, right? Or a marriage to be something that's a blessing. But sometimes that can actually initiate a crisis. What I want you to get before we move forward is that there can be a full range, both positive and negative things, that cause a person to go into a period of crisis. The first thing that happens when people experience a crisis is that they go into a state of shock. It's perfectly normal, perfectly quote-unquote natural. It happens to almost everybody. Now the first thing that people report when they go into shock is that things begin to feel surreal. They start to experience dissociative states of consciousness. A lot of people describe the feeling of watching themselves from above or the feeling of life all of a sudden turning into a movie that they're watching instead of really living. They also experience a brain fog where it's very difficult to think clearly and things become incredibly confused. Shock is a very difficult somatic experience for people to hold because it is the experience of holding extreme dichotomy. What I mean by that is that shock, one of the hallmarks of shock, is this feeling of absolute stasis, meaning non-movement, like this deep freeze and even apathy of not being able to move, while at the same time inside of that somatic experience is this incredible upheaval, this absolute chaos and confusion, which is an intense movement which feels a little bit like static. If any of you have watched any of those old TV sets, you'll know what static looks like on a screen. It's this chaotic movement, but not in any particular direction. It's all over the place. But with shock, that's happening on the inside, and on the outside, there's this deep freeze. The thing I want you to know is that the more you resist shock, the worse shock gets. Now, what do I mean by resisting shock? Trying to force yourself out of it, trying to create movement where that freeze happens. This is not the way to approach shock. Now, I'm in reality that there are some crises that don't allow for the luxury of sitting still with shock. That's usually when you're the, in the immediate danger type of element of certain crises. You need to allow yourself to get through that, however, that you need to get through that. We'll be having a conversation about that later. However, it is an absolute 100% necessity that whenever you get the opportunity, when you're in a state of shock, the way that you have to deal with that shock is by getting incredibly, incredibly still. Stillness, incredible amounts of presence and motionlessness is the way to respond to shock. The body needs an intense amount of focused presence on top of stillness 
in order to be able to come out of the flood of stress chemicals that are putting you in that primal fight or flight mode. When you experience a crisis or when you're in that state of shock, you're so much in the primal fight or flight mode that you have to be able to get still in order to bring yourself out of the engagement with those primal behaviors and into the engagement with higher level functioning processes. What I mean by that is that when you're in shock or when you're in that fight or flight mode, it's not actually possible to access the executive functioning element of your brain and body. What do I mean by executive functioning? I mean things like memory retention or even accessing your memory in order to make good choices. I mean the capacity for sound judgment. I mean the capacity to weigh out consequences, the capacity to emotionally regulate, the capacity to make an objective decision. Those types of things are not accessible when you're in a state of shock. So when you're in a state of shock, you don't need to do anything. In fact, you have to do the opposite. You need to powerfully do nothing. I'm going to give you a metaphor that's going to help you to understand how to deal with shock. I want you to imagine that when you're in shock, your whole body has gone into freeze and therefore become like a block of ice. Now, when you become intensely present to yourself, when you become still and focus all of your attention on the inside to whatever movement or non-movement may be occurring within your body, it's the same as taking a high-intensity light beam and focusing it at ice. Now, it's a very slow process when you focus light at an ice block you may barely get a single drip in a half an hour. However, it's doing the process of melting. So it's almost like by focusing your attention in on the freeze itself, you're allowing the body to do what it knows how to naturally do, which is to melt and come back into that state of free-flowing activity or movement. That's where the real good decisions can be made. The second thing that's gonna happen in a crisis is that you're gonna go into reactivity mode. Now, reactivity mode, it's got a bad rep, but really what this is, is it's the parts of your consciousness that are in charge of protecting you that take over your embodiment so as to self-preserve as fast as it can. This is the phase where you're going to succumb to knee-jerk reactions. Now, those protector parts of your being, they're going to cope with the experience or the threat that it's dealing with, because all crisis implies some kind of threat. It's going to start dealing with that in the way that it learned to keep you safe before. Those strategies that those reactive parts of you take aren't necessarily the right way to respond to a particular crisis when it's presented with you. It's just that in your past you've had an experience, you've learned a way of coping with that so that you survived, and now you're going to just knee-jerk react to every scenario in that exact same way that worked before in your childhood. Maybe it didn't even work then. For example, let's say that in the past, a person had a part of their being who understood that the best way to stay safe the fastest was to go into denial. When faced with a crisis, this is a person whose reactivity mode is going to look like denial. A person who learned that the best way to preserve themselves was to fight back is going to instantly get defensive. Whenever a crisis occurs, they're going to get really agitated and probably get in a lot of fights. A person who learned that the best way to stay safe was to take full-blown responsibility is going to react by immediately blaming themselves. The thing to understand about reactivity mode is that when we're in that state of reactivity, we're not actually accepting the situation at hand. In fact, we're proactively resisting it. We're still trying to prevent what has already happened or try to come out of the situation unscathed. And this 
reactivity that is a resistance to the situation that it is and the refusal to accept it so that we're immediately trying to change it in whatever way we can and control the situation makes this a time of extreme frustration, anger, and severely heightened anxiety. So it's really important that in the reactivity phase, the minute that you recognize that you're in that phase, you understand that the things that you're doing are being done in resistance to accepting the reality that's at hand. It's also important to understand that in that moment of reactivity, an intense polarization within you is occurring between the part that is trying to protect you and the vulnerability that that part is trying to mitigate or minimize. If you're in that state of intense polarization, there is no possible way for you to make a sound decision. In fact, it's likely that you're going to make a decision that bulldozes one part of you. And if you bulldoze a part of you, it's not actually acting in your own best interests. It's something that's going to backfire long term. So there's no way for you to be in that state of polarization where a protector element of your consciousness has taken over your embodiment and to make a good decision that will actually benefit you in the long run instead of become something you severely regret. The next phase that will happen when somebody experiences a crisis is what I call the searching for meaning phase. Not in a good way. People are obsessed with meaning. After all, we are creatures that want to ascertain the truth. We want to understand the implication of everything that happens in our lives. Now, the searching for meaning aspect of dealing with a crisis is actually still resistance. It's still a refusal to accept what has happened. It's to believe that if you understand the full truth about exactly what happened there, you could somehow still prevent it, something that's already happened. Or you could for sure mitigate any consequences that could potentially come of what happened. When Potentially, those consequences are coming either way. When you are searching for meaning in a crisis, you're going to become obsessed with finding out the truth. You're going to become obsessed with why this happened in the first place. How could it happen? This is the phase in which it's going to be should have, could have, would have. What could I have done to make it different? What could I do still to prevent what's happening? It's that type of a phase. You are still not accepting what is occurring. It's the phase in which you're going to want to tell your story as many times as you possibly can to try to extract some kind of understanding about the situation that you're in or the overall meaning of it. As if somehow grasping that meaning is going to assist you to not be hurt by what's happening at all. This meaning phase of crisis is actually also the phase where people begin bargaining. What I mean by bargaining is that's part of the should have, what if I only, like maybe if I. The bargaining happens with other people in the circumstance, with the situation itself, and with the universe at large. For example, let's say that you've got somebody who just got a terminal cancer diagnosis. This person, during this phase, the meaning phase, may start to obsess over, oh well, maybe, maybe if I just change all of these bad habits I had or lifestyle choices that weren't particularly good, then maybe I'll be given more time. It's an attempt to understand things so as to gain control over the experience that is innately making you feel so out of control. The next phase that people deal with when they're experiencing a crisis is acceptance and processing. Now it's important for me to explain that accepting is different than most people think it is. But in this phase, you start to accept what happened. You start to realize that it's already happened, there's no way of actually preventing it. You can only take proactive steps here but you're also accepting that potentially those things also mean some degree of pain. Now, to accept something does not mean to like it. That's something that most people don't get because there's this association between acceptance and approving. 
Acceptance is only to swallow the reality of something. It's to acknowledge the validity of something. So, a person is dead. To accept something is to say, I accept that person is dead. I see that it is true that they are gone. That's what acceptance means. In this phase of acceptance and processing, it's quite typical for people to start confronting the reality of their powerlessness in the situation at hand, or at the very least, their feelings of powerlessness relative to the situation at hand. A person can experience extreme bouts of depression in conjunction with this particular phase if they go into resistance relative to that powerlessness. Here's the good news. Once acceptance actually occurs and a person levels with the reality of what is actually happening, then what you'll notice is that those primary defense mechanisms that were up in the whole last part of the process of dealing with crisis, they start to diminish. A person starts to focus less on the story of what happened, and less on how to prevent it, and even less on understanding the whole situation at hand. And their attention tends to switch towards what they can do about it in the now. So actually, in this phase of acceptance, their power actually swings back, and now their access to power is squarely in reality and they're in what I can do from where I am with what I have. In conjunction with the processing element of this accepting and processing phase, what begins to happen is that a person starts to let go of what doesn't make sense to hold on to anymore. And instead, their focus adjusts forward. The next phase of a crisis is what I call reorientation. <laughs> in a crisis, to say that it's disorienting is a bit of an understatement of the century. It's almost like somebody came in and took the cards in your life and just threw them in the air. So the reorienting phase is the phase where those cards become collected and put together in a whole new form. Now that form should be something that adds to your life instead of something that diminishes your life. It's this reorientation phase that is perhaps the most critical and important phase for switching from the old normal to the new normal. So another way of saying this is the reorientation phase is about finding a new sense of direction, a new focus, and building a new life, or a new area of life, depending on how severe and wide-ranging the crisis may be. It's about taking those cards and deciding which ones you're gonna play with now. It's about reorienting towards what you can do, the opportunities that might exist, and the new that you might be looking forward to. This is the phase that is the most fun. <laughs> the hope, of course, here is that at the end of the reorientation phase, even though you're going to look back at it and still say it was painful as hell, you will actually be able to see how that experience made more of you instead of took away from you. It's critical to understand these phases and also understand how to move through these phases relative to a crisis, because it's possible that if any one of these phases is resistant, that you can actually get stuck in them. For example, it's possible to get stuck in long-term shock. This is something that you see quite often in conjunction with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. It's possible for people that if they stay stuck in this resistance to the powerlessness that they feel, that they become actually stuck in depression for years as a result of a crisis that has occurred. It's also possible that if we don't let somebody really tell their story and process through that in this phase of trying to find meaning, that they will never reach a phase where they accept what has happened. What this means is that we have to face any resistance that we may have to any one of these phases in the process of uh, healing through a crisis, and we have to confront it head on. 
because we could do some serious damage if we succumb to that resistance and don't allow ourselves to go through any one of these phases. I want you to imagine it like this. Imagine that you're in a building, and that building has several floors. Each one of those floors represents one of these phases of healing, and you're currently inside of an elevator. If you've got your hand on those buttons and you're like, I'm not going to floor four, I want to go to floor six, I'm skipping floor four, you are going to get yourself into some serious trouble relative to healing through a crisis. Also, it's important to know what to do, assuming that you push that button and you do go to floor four. If you have resistance to floor four, the chances are you're going to get off on floor four and whatever needs to be done there, you're not actually going to do. Instead, you're going to go onto that floor and compound the damage that was already done there, which is my primary reason for doing this entire course, because I want you to understand what each of these floors entails, and when you get off onto that floor, how to deal with what you find there in a way that's going to help you to move through and thrive through the crisis, instead of compound the damage already done by one. I'm going to hit you with a hard truth, but this time it's one that's going to feel good. The truth is, is that nobody has to give you any information about how to survive a crisis. In fact, any information they gave you wouldn't really help. You are literally hardwired for survival. You will survive a crisis. You're biologically wired to do so. It's not even going to be a question. Now, thriving through a crisis is a completely different concept, and it's the reason I made this course. To thrive in a crisis is to take that crisis and to weave it into the tapestry of who you are, so that it adds to you instead of diminishes you. My intention for this course is to help you use whatever crisis you're facing for growth, for the creation of a life that's even better than the one that you may be leaving behind. I would love for you to join me.